The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my footsteps is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will have a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a holy man because he is a holy man will have a holy man's reward. If anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not lose his reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I wish there was some way, other than attending Mass regularly, which is actually the way now that I think about it, but I wish there was some way of holding the Sunday Gospels together in, in this kind of slowly unraveling, episodic kind of way. Because when we tune in to this uh, drama that we're watching, that we're not just observing, but in fact we are in it as, as participating characters, um, there's, a, there's an ever-deepening plot. It's, it's quite tremendous, really. Um, this feeling that I've always had about the beautiful uh, lectionary that guides our worship is what um, inspired the podcast that I started some years ago, Suspended in the Word. It was trying to draw this unbroken thread through all the gospel passages of the Sunday readings, and not just the gospels, but all the other readings as well. Um, and not just in a, in a kind of, anyway, that was last week, now next week, but a deepening plot, you know, it kind of refers back to things that you remember from weeks or months or years ago. There's a reason why we're hearing these things in the way that we are. The lectionary, as I've said before, is not Bible study. You know, we're not here to just study texts like we would in other settings. The lectionary is not 52 lessons to undertake each year. For that matter, it's not 156 lessons to undertake every three years. It's a pilgrimage into the mysteries of our faith, deep, deep mysteries that we're drilling into time after time after time. And so it's never vain. Um, we, we delude ourselves if we say, oh yeah, I've heard this gospel. It means <laughs> X. No, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's a person that you're meant to meet the gaze of every single time, as if for the first time. A few Sundays ago, Jesus called the 12 to himself. We'll remember that. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew and their cousins, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, the tax collector, even Judas, all of them. Jesus calls them to himself by name, just like he calls all of us by name. And now he's teaching them. These are the episodes that we're seeing right now. Both last Sunday's gospel and this Sunday begins with the words, Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. He's called them. And now he's teaching this tight little cohort something very privileged that they then have to go and teach others. Soon he will teach, not just them, but the whole crowds that gather 
because there's something so magnetic that's taking place. He'll teach all of them. And not crowds full of the learned and the clever, mind you, but as Jesus points out, people with childlike faith, people with simple, docile, sort of porous, hungry hearts. They're ready to eat and drink uh, at his word. They've come recognizing their brother, and therefore they've gathered as children of the Father, all of them, all of us. And when these children gather, as we'll hear in the weeks to come, in the episodes to soon follow, Jesus will speak to them in parables. In parables. Uh, We're familiar with these. Imagine a sower going out to sow. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But the enemy came by night and sowed darnel there too. Remember that episode? Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Or again, it's like treasure hidden in a field. Again, it's like a merchant looking for pearls. Or it's like a dragnet cast into the sea. All of these wonderful episodes of Jesus' teaching. They're vivid in our minds, aren't they? We remember them. Maybe we gravitate to one more than the other or some more than others. But there's a reason we're going to be hearing them again and again. And Jesus is now gathering his flock to teach. I want to say, uh, with with this reading here then, Jesus is um, saying something quite challenging. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who prefers son and daughter, etc., etc., is not worthy of me. This is jarring language, isn't it? I mean, something in us wants to say, well then, fine. <laughs> who, who, who is worthy, you know? Why are you worthy? Um, something in us kind of is, is riled up by this. And I think, it's, I think that's good. I think in a way, as usual, Jesus is pressing the nerve as he does. Um, but this is jarring language, and, and I think it takes us by surprise. There's maybe only one other place where I've heard this kind of Um, very strange ultimatum type language it's in gangs think about this for a second in gang culture the the kind of radical self-sacrificial if I can use it that way fidelity that is expected that is needed for a gang to to function as a gang Um, I take it probably most of us haven't had too much to do with gangs Um, but I remember some years ago I was watching a documentary on YouTube about gang culture and it was gangs in prisons as well they were all being interviewed about how the how the hierarchy functions and you know channels of of who needs to do what for who and the way they mark their body as signs of where they are in rank and all of this kind of stuff it's it's the language of the gang it's the hierarchy and the structure and the operative potential of the gang which turns out to be a powerful force in a way, it's a force to be reckoned with if, if the gang does muster some strength behind it. You could almost describe it as fidelity, the devotion that um, is needed in gangs. Um, becoming a part of the gang is, is a difficult task. One has to prove that he or she would do anything, including forsaking family members, turning on them, sometimes in the most gruesome uh, and offensive of ways, just to show, yep, my fidelity is to you and not to my blood or my, you know, the people who care for me, etc. Um, if gangs see that you are, in fact, disloyal, even over and above that, then you've earned the loyalty of the gang in return. It's like blood for blood, you know? It's, a, it's almost like a covenant. It's, 
It's so similar to some of the things we talk about, but then it's warped way out of shape, which makes it very disturbing. It's like an anti, anti-church in a way. I don't want to say it's impressive, but, but there's something, there's something that, that is... I don't even want to say it's awesome, but there's something that, that cajoles awe from us, isn't it? Like, you don't really mess with a gang uh, if, if you have a choice. I think one of the stark differences is it's based primarily on fear. Fear and power. Um, power over. Power to dominate. It's a profound phenomenon anyway. And, and, and it endures. You know, gangs have a longevity to them. Why else do they seem to, to continue like Darnells in the field? They're just there along with the wheat. Um, here comes the kind of obvious question, or it's, the answer to it is obvious. Is the church a gang? Are we just Jesus' croonies, you know? He's gathered us and he's made us pledge this silly fidelity to him. Um, well, no. Jesus is not some big mob boss. No, because there's something fundamentally different about who Jesus is as he invites us to these things. Think of the mob boss. Is the mob boss all-loving? Is the mob boss all-wise? You might think he is. Uh, is, is the mob boss willing to sacrifice himself for the good of the least in his fold? The little, the little nobodies who are tagging along. Is the mob boss willing to get down on his haunches and wash their feet? Does he have any motives that are not at their core sinister, self-serving, sort of empire-oriented? No. No, 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 no to every single one of those things that are core to who Jesus is. By contrast, Jesus is perfectly wise, is set on laying down his life for us, is all loving. It never has an ulterior motive other than the ones that he broadcasts, that he loves us and he calls us to himself. Jesus is perfectly authentic and transparent. In a word, he is worthy, as he says in that gospel. In a word, he is worthy of such devotion because as startling as this is, that's the manner in which he has devoted himself to us. Irony of ironies, he sees us as worthy of that kind of love. Incredible. Incredible. Then comes us, his gang, his battalion. Listen to this, because this is part of what we know as sacramentality, that... that There's Jesus and then everything that Jesus calls to himself, including persons, but also things, like like the materials that we're using in this liturgy, for example. The the presence of Jesus kind of ricochets out from those things. Listen to this. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, Jesus. And those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me. In other words, our encounters with each other and with sacramental signs and symbols and with the word proclaimed and with acts of genuine charity in the name of Christ, our encounters with the Father who sent the Son, who gathered the apostles, who sent them, who then became this church that we are. It's an encounter with the Father. This is incredible stuff. In a gang, there may be a long line of patsies, you know, middlemen and spies and all sorts of stuff roaming around all reporting to some invisible nobody up in the sky, up in some uh, impenetrable fortress. But there's a collective threat. You mess with one, you mess with all. 
That's not really what Jesus is saying here. Again, it's a warped understanding of what Jesus sets up in himself. It sounds similar, but it's different. Jesus is describing the economy of charity, the the systems of perfect love in the world. In the very Jesus community that we are, there is God who makes the first move, not flanked by bodyguards, but completely vulnerable to the brutishness of the world with the possibility even of being overthrown. In other words, Jesus doesn't safeguard himself from even the worst that humanity might respond with. God comes with trust. And then there's us who have to respond to God in our midst, who have said yes to his invitation, else we wouldn't be here, who become prophets and healers and friends to God and to each other, to all people. The church cares for its own in a way that a gang would never understand. The church cares for its own here and universally only to invite every single person in the world into that dynamic of love and care. In that, God is made known.